It's time for the one show that takes a look at business from a different perspective. The Coaching Perspective with Master Certified Business Coach, Doug Gefeller. Hey, Doug. Hey, Paul. Glad to be here with you today in a crowded studio. <laughs> Lots of guests. Well, look, uh, today's episode of The Coaching Perspective is going to be exciting. I'm a Master Certified Coach by the International Coach Federation, and I've been coaching leaders and their teams for 21 years, helping them to clarify their objectives and reach their goals. So if you'd like to know more about my coaching services, just go to the website, thecoachingperspective.com. Well, our guest for today is Susan Howington. She is the CEO of Power Connections, Inc., whose mission statement is Outplacement with Heart, changing the world one person at a time by supporting people in their pursuit of meaningful work. I really like that. Thank you. And Susan's going to be talking about why do some executives behave badly. But before we get to that, let me give you some of her background. She's too modest. Susan's a sought-after expert in the executive career transition field, applying her practical knowledge and visionary wisdom as a consultant, coach, author, and industry speaker. As Senior Vice President and Managing Director of the Southern California Region for Lee Heck Harris, who's a global player in outplacement and executive coaching services, she helped them reach premier executive status in Orange County. She was awarded a leadership scholarship to attend the International Institute of Management Development in Lausanne, Switzerland for two terms, 2005 and 2006. In Orange County, she was profiled by OC Metro Magazine as one of 15 Orange County women who inspire others. I like that. That's an award worth going after. It was pretty nice. She has appeared in the Orange County Register, the Los Angeles Times, national online publications. She has a current show. Uh, what is your current show, Susan? You're a guest host. I'm a guest host on Eye on Business, which is on uh, Spectrum, the former Time Warner cable show. It's now Spectrum. Okay. There you go. She's also served uh, on the Orange County Board of the March of Dimes. She's been membership chair for the National Human Resources Association. She's been co-chair of the National Human Resources Association Executive of the Year Award. That's a big deal. And she's been a member of Vistage, formerly Tech, for those of you who've been around a long time, mm -hmm. since 2002, and the Marketing Executive Networking Group since 2007. And she earned her BS in Sociology with a minor in Psychology from Northern Arizona University. Welcome to the Coaching Perspective Radio Show, Susan. Thank you, Doug. I'm so honored to be here. As as I had mentioned in an, uh, previous conversations, I feel like you're the master and I'm the student. So I look forward to this conversation greatly with you. Well, Grasshopper will have a wonderful time. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I don't think I'm the master, but well, look, let's get right into a little bit of your background other than sure. just your awards. Tell us what you did before what you're doing now. Oh, gosh. Um, I, you know, I don't really remember life before being in the help, people helping business, but my whole life I wanted to be in a position where I was assisting others. And it, when I was a child, I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist okay. because I thought that's what psychiatrists do. They help people. They listen to people. They listen to their problems and they come up with solutions. As I got older, I realized I wanted to be in social work. But even then, 
I came from a very entrepreneurial family, and my interest in business has been with me much of my life. I, I remember distinctly when I was in eighth grade, I was 13, 14 years old, wanting so badly to have my own business, and I would do everything I could to generate money and thinking, I'll build this business, I'll be a woman, uh, a female CEO. So I, I uh, my role now has marriaged my desire to help people with my extreme interest in business and it's just such a great match and and i'm i'm living my professional dream as a result wow you know someday we're going to have to do a show about people with entrepreneurial backgrounds and Mm non-entrepreneurial because i came from a family that when i quit a corporate job to start my own company it was like what is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You had a good salary. <laughs> what are you doing? You yeah. know, and I had a family that didn't understand it because they had not been entrepreneurial. So it, it creates a whole different mindset for you, doesn't it? Yes. And actually, I had the complete opposite. My, my, fa- we, a long lineage of entrepreneurs in my family, including my brothers and sisters. And they were looking at me when I was in corporate positions saying, how can you do it? How could you, how do you fit into the corporate thing? So I had just the complete opposite, Doug. How funny. Well, look, tell the audience about your current business model. What do you do? Who are your clients? How do you find them? Yeah, thanks for asking. My company is called Power Connections Career Services. We are predominantly what's called an outplacement service. We work with companies when they let people go, for whatever the reason. And in in their letting these people go, in their separation packets, they provide an outplacement service as part of the benefit. And what we do is we give people a soft landing. We help them find their next position by doing the fundamental things of resume building, LinkedIn profile building, job search skills, interviewing skills, things of that nature. In addition, we do a few other ancillary things, which includes executive coaching. And that's, I think, how we've arrived at our conversation today. And uh, how much of your time is spent doing executive coaching versus outplacement, the more pure outplacement side? I would say 90% of our effort is in the outplacement, 10% is in the coaching. And the coaching that I have been known to do is working with executives who have behaved in such a way that HR is calling me saying something needs to be done to help this person. Okay, we're going to get into Mm -hmm. that. Just I can't wait to get into it, but I want to cover this. So... For those companies listening, who's the ideal client that you're looking for? The ideal corporate customer that I'm looking for is that kind of company that wants to do the right thing when they are separating their employees. That they want to help that person pick themselves up at, you know, let's say they're terminated on Friday. That company wants that person to have somewhere to go on Monday. That's the ideal client for us or customer for us. Okay. You know, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I, I, You could have easily given me the answer that, oh, I like to work with companies like Boeing who let hundreds of people go at a time. or, But it sounds like uh, that quantity is not uh, your goal. It's the quality of the service you can We offer. have corporate customers that have 50 employees. We have corporate customers that have... 50,000 employees. It really is, it's it's culture-driven. It's what does the company want to do for those people that they're going to be letting go. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's And just for those who in the audience that aren't familiar with outplacement, what's the typical tenure for an outplacement uh, 
package for an executive? For an executive, I would say the typical is six months to 12 months of outplacement support. Oh, that support. long. Mm-hmm. Wow. It could be three months as well. Okay. But an executive person, um, it's not, to get another job is just not a phone call to a few people. It's, it's a journey. It's, a, it's quite a journey that requires a lot of preparation, a lot of work. So I'd be curious, uh, uh, on your perspective, I've had so many business owners on the show that have said they just can't find experienced people these days. So what is the job market like out there? Well, I'm very happy to say that the job market is the best it's been probably since 2005. It's, it's wonderful. We're, we're having a great time. <laughs> I should be unemployed then. It yes, would be a it's, good time. <laughs> it's a wonderful time to be looking for a job. Um, we haven't seen this in so many years, but it doesn't mean that that a person is going to find a job tomorrow or next week or two weeks from now. The thing that people will experience is that the hiring process in companies has slowed way down. Yes. And it can take weeks, sometimes months since the first interview to accepting a job offer. So be prepared for that. And why is that? Well, I, I have a sense that companies during the recession they they had to do so much more with so much less yes. that now they bringing new people on and adding more headcount they're much more methodical and cautious and they take their time and they've already lived through the lean time so they know they'll be all right yeah and they're they're very very particular about who they hire you know, and from and I would agree with that. And from my perspective, the other thing that I think is influencing it is that it's so difficult for company department heads and executives to let people go. Mm-hmm. I mean, they suffered too, having to tell somebody that you was doing it. a good job, been there a long time, but we don't have the work anymore. That's right. That they are really cautious about adding people because they don't want to have to go through that again. You may be right. I'm going to also add that in in the um, after the recession, I think many uh, hiring managers they kind of got used to letting people go as well. So it's not as difficult for some people to do that action. But you still have enough people out there in the business community that are that feel quite badly about that, and they don't want to bring someone on with with the thought that maybe we can't keep this person in the long term. Uh, one maybe last question on your placement business, and that is, we've talked executive. What level of person are you usually helping? I mean, executive is a pretty broad term. I mean, can you break it down somehow for us? Yes, um, we do work with all levels, but when we're talking about an executive, um, we're probably talking about someone who is earning a hundred and fifty thousand plus a year okay but our business when when i first started power connections doug i specifically focused on executives only but about five years ago i opened up my practice to working with all levels so i would say our average client is is your um uh individual who's making 75 to one hundred twenty thousand a year okay all right uh, and I know we'll do this at the end of the show, but uh, for those who have a short attention span and may leave us, and I know who you are, so I'm watching through the radio here, uh, how do people get a hold of you? Thank you. They can reach me. They can call my cell phone directly at 949-285-9541, or they can email me at susan at powerconnections.com. 
inc.com. Okay. And make sure you put the ink in there or you end up at another site that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I made that mistake. <laughs> that's so much for my speed reading talents. Uh, you know, we've asked most of our guests this uh, same question, and that is, uh, what's your guiding principle personally? What is it that, that holds you, your, your value or your true north, your guiding principle? I want people to experience me as authentic, as sincere, as being interested in seeing them meet their goals in life, whatever that might be. And I sort of believe that I've been doing that almost my whole life. I bet you have. So it's who I am, it's what I do. And that's why I, I feel so strongly that I'm, I'm in the right spot in my life. I love that. Well, you've maintained the tradition. We've never had a duplicate answer to that question. Hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing, too, is you have modeled a word that I find hard to define. And hmm. people talk about, is someone authentic? Mm -hmm. And that's always a little difficult for me to place, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. But in talking to you for a few minutes, I know what it means easily. It mm. comes across that you're authentic. Mm, you, you believe in what you say. Thank you. So, well, look, we're going to talk in a minute about your your topic. I have to say that when I asked you for a title for the show and you sent me, why do some executives behave badly? I did a double take. Mm -hmm. I mean, here we are in the Harvey Weinstein era. That's probably shouldn't have brought that up, but mm -hmm. it's on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's sexual or not sexual, people are reluctant to call out um, people in higher up positions. They're, you know, you can tell your wife, you can tell your brother-in-law, you can tell your friends you're behaving badly. You can tell the producer on the show, you know, don't eat your banana during the show. You know? <laughs> but uh, you know, if if somebody owns the company or you they sign your paycheck, all of a sudden we aren't as forthcoming. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the topic that you've picked for today. I can't wait to get into it. But the producer's going to run us through a quick commercial first, and then we'll be right back. Right. Thank you. And we're back. And we've got uh, Susan Howington with us talking about why do some executives behave badly. And when I asked Susan about this, she, she gave me this little opening blurb for the topic. Sometimes good people who fill executive-level roles exhibit off-putting and downright mean behavior. Why do some people in high-level positions act so unhuman and out of touch when it comes to the feelings of others? What causes this? What does a company need to do to help this executive understand the big-picture repercussions of their aggressive or mean behavior? Boy, this is a tough topic. Mm-hmm. What, why did you pick this, Susan? What, what spoke to you about this topic? I've, been, I've had some experience with executives over this very thing in the last couple of years. And so it's, it's close to me. Um, and I know it goes on. It's been going on in companies for, you know, time eternal, really. Yes, yes. So um, it's a topic that I'm, I'm essentially entrenched in. You know, in my own coaching of executives. And and truth be told, with some of the executives that we've coached in our transition work, in the outplacement work, some of these people have been sent to us because they have been terminated 
over their behavior or the chemistry now with with that employee that executive in their company company has come to a um, to a halt you know it just the company won't tolerate the behavior anymore so they've been sent to us so it's something that I've been seeing for years and now in the last couple of years I've actually gotten into the into that coaching type of programming I'm wondering if there's a, a demographic profile of executives that exhibit this behavior. And what I'm thinking of is executives that maybe are uh, have been at it for a lot of years, and this is a behavior that used to be acceptable but isn't in today's culture or environment. Do you see that? I, I don't, I'm not sure that that is what I've observed. Okay, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, the the people that I've coached are... They are, they're contemporary. Okay. Now, they may be in their 50s, but that's not, I wouldn't consider that the old guard, you no, know? No, no. Um, and there's been a few that have been in their 40s. And I think there's there are executives now in their 30s, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That don't know how to behave nicely because they've, they've not learned. So let me continue to exhibit my undocumented assumptions, mm-hmm. yeah, as you sure. can correct me. Sure. Um, are they aware of this behavior? They are aware of it, but it is justified in their minds. Ooh, that's a fine line. Justified in what way? That it is. it was a needed behavior to get people to do what they are supposed to do. Hmm. So it's a system that has worked well for them, probably. Yes. For a long time. Yes. And they're now at a point in their career where usually it has been elevated to the CEO of a company or, you know, the the next boss up. Sure. Who has said, we can't have this anymore. We've got to stop this. And generally, because enough people have spoken out, as you had brought that topic up before we took our break, right. enough people have spoken out that it's it can't be ignored anymore. Okay. And are they interested in changing? For the most part, they are. Because they realize um, they're... That things at work are not copacetic with them and work is important to them so they are motivated to change to make it all better again okay now there are those executives who who the the fact that they're getting a coach and that they're getting reprimanded for their behavior it is like a bucket of cold water that was you know splashed at them that they realize oh my gosh who have i been what what's come over me and i use the term they've been altered and that's you know that's another um, thing that i look at is are these really people that just treat people badly or are they altered in their current environment have they been altered what do you mean by altered explain that the the pressure that they're under the resources that they have whether they're lacking they've got enough resources or not um, the day-to-day grind, and it's and it's a it's a grind. I mean, it is grinding hard. That repetitive stress over and over and over for years. I think it it does alter people. 
You know, there's a, a, a saying uh, in our family about um, one of the family members that has since passed away who was not a very pleasant person. Mm-hmm. And when asked about it or called on it, her comment was, I'm too busy to be nice. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like what we're talking about. Absolutely. The the pressure Mm -hmm. to perform, Mm -hmm. the the pressure to move quicker than maybe they're comfortable with. Yes. Sort of justifies the environment, as you put it. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to listen. Yeah. I don't have time to explain. I pay these people enough money that they should know what they need to do. I've told them once. I don't have time to tell them again. It is. It's all about time. Wow. That's mm-hmm. just, and and we take no time out. You know, the thing that always stuns me is when you look at a job description for an executive, and if you broke down the duties that are on this couple of pages of things they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. if you broke it down and said, well, how much time each day do you think I'd have to spend on those things? Nowhere on that list is time managing people, directing people, mm-hmm. yes, but no time Training, motivating, listening, sympathizing, understanding people's issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it isn't in the job description. No, it's not. Um, I had read an article recently that stated that an executive spends less than 30% of their day listening to other people. I think it's probably less than 20%, maybe down to 10% of the time listening to people. That's another thing is that... Uh, an executive could say, I don't have time to listen to people. Oh, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. The correlation that came into my mind is the studies I've seen about spouses or about parents and children and the statistics about how little time is spent in meaningful conversation, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. in giving orders, mm-hmm. but in meaningful conversation. Same thing in the business environment, maybe more so. Yes, right. Maybe more so. Right. Well, you know, you're kind of lucky in that when you when they're coming to you, they've had a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. So they may be more inclined to listen yes. than the typical environment uh, in a company where they're just asked to, we want to get you a coach because we're not real happy with the way you're behaving. It's like, oh, sure. Yeah, well, that's not the, there's no recipe for success with that kind of premise, right? That yeah. this is a disciplinary action for you uh, and, and we need you to be coached. That doesn't work very well. Yeah, you know? coaching is not a disciplinary mm-hmm. action. That's, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. So what do you think are the most common characteristics of the boss who's behaving badly today? It, it all boils down to lack of respect for others. It's, um, it's, it is observed by uh, being um, accusatory, demeaning. There's typically name-calling, um, humiliating people in front of other people. And when I, we'll go back to name-calling. Name-calling isn't necessarily saying, Doug, you're stupid. But name-calling comes in the form of, this report you gave me is stupid. Yeah. So yeah. you might as well be. I might as well be calling you, you stupid. Criticize my duck. work. You criticize me. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. This this makes no sense. This is idiotic. This is stupid. Well, a moron could have produced this report. That kind of thing. And and you know you think to yourself, really people talk like that in business to their you know subordinates, and I think it happens a lot. I think it goes on a lot. So that kind of behavior. That is 
just it's just chipping away at people's self-respect. How does someone catch themselves? What 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 are the questions I would ask myself as I'm sitting here thinking, guy, am I guilty of this? What would I what what should I ask myself? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to refer to a book that I used by a, a mutual friend of ours, Doug John White. Yeah, and I I brought the book today. It's entitled "What You Don't Know About Listening Could F- Fill a Book," and it's it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful learning tool and exercise and it's enjoyable to read it's simple to read but it talks about the um, the foundation of successful relationships in business and in life with our own personal relationships is our ability to communicate and communicating the strongest component of that is listening and so how do you communicate most effectively and then how do you listen but to, to your question, one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is take out the word why and replace it with what, which is what the author recommends, John recommends. Instead of saying, Doug, why did you write this report in the way that you did? Why did you talk about this? Why did you show these numbers? Instead of asking why, changing that to what was it about this format, Doug, that you chose over the other formats? What was it about this string of numbers that you thought was significant over the other string of numbers? You see, it changes things. Oh, wow. Just just uh, sitting here across from you, having you look at me and ask mm-hmm. that question. The why made me feel very defensive. Defensive. Very defensive immediately. The mm-hmm. what made me feel like, oh, you're interested. Mm-hmm. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you. It, it's almost more open-ended, isn't yeah, it? It yeah. allows the recipient of that question to actually give an answer versus defend, why did you do this? I mean, oh, well, gosh, I don't know why, uh, I don't know, you know? It's, just, yeah. it's not a productive question. You know, the other thing I've, I've found as a tool that I've used occasionally in coaching is to encourage people, after they've had a conversation with someone, to write down what that person said mm-hmm. which makes you sometimes realize was i really listening yes because you you go uh there's nothing worth writing down well come on mm-hmm. that's excellent <laughs> you know that's so that's excellent. another a, a little tool that you know sometimes i have to use myself mm-hmm. was i focused mm-hmm. you know was i listening yeah okay Good stuff. Another another uh, tool that I uh, ask that our the executive uses that they change the word "you" to "we," instead of "you need to go back and rethink this." Change it to "Doug, we need to go back and rethink this." Include yourself in this, and because again, then it becomes accusatory. You, you are bad. You did this wrong. You, where if you change it to we, you're taking ownership of this. We're in this together. Mm-hmm. And you know, if an executive wants people, you're only a leader if people are going to follow you, right? Absolutely. You're, you're not yeah, a that's leader. That's the test of leadership. Yes, exactly. Anybody it's, behind you? It's pretty simple. <laughs> So if if you are in a, a company, and most people are these days, where there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of deadlines, things are moving fast. I mean, it's life. It's life. But you need those people to take the hill for you every now and then. If you want people to take the hill for you, you need to, to connect with them and let them know that 
we're in this together. It's not you taking that hill, Doug. You go take that hill right now and do it right along the way. <laughs> no, it's, Doug, we're going to take this hill together and we're going to do it, you know, this way. Well, and you know, it's not just a choice of words. I mean, it would be easy to write off this conversation and say, oh, sure, that's a, I'm just going to change the word from to we. Um, it is a sign of the times in that in today's environment, I don't see anything getting done in business that doesn't require a teamwork effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we went back a ways, we things were done without teams, really. Mm-hmm. It was a much more dictatorial sort of command and control. I told you what to do. You didn't understand the whole thing. This is your piece. You know, the assembly line where you just put on the tire and you didn't know whether it was a car or a tractor, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Right. But in today's environment, everything requires, we're so intertwined, I can't do anything without finance, without PR, without marketing. Yes, it's which, true. Which requires the we to be active, to be real. Yes, it does. It does. Mm-hmm. By changing the word from you to we, it does trigger something, though, I think, in people's brains. It, it sets them back a little bit yeah. because they're so used to saying the you word, just like changing why to what. It just shifts the the thought pattern in people's brains you know it's interesting i i heard on the news today a report the reporter had interviewed people who had um been the first responders in the fires that we've had recently Mm -hmm. and these were people that were being recognized for their efforts heroic efforts Mm -hmm. and she said one of the things i noticed was all of these people when they talked about what they did they didn't use the word I. Yeah. They all talked about we. Nice. You know. Yeah. Kind of the same it's thing. Nice. You're carrying it a little step further. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, um, if you've got a boss or if you're working with someone who's misbehaving, mm-hmm. do you just write them off as a bad person or do you, you know, this is a jerk and I have to live with it or, uh, you know, do you uh, have some way of determining whether they're worth an extra effort to take a risk and talk to them about it what, what's your advice in the workplace yeah i think the most difficult bosses to work for are the bosses who are normally predictable in their behavior it's but they have episodes of being out of control that's that's probably the worst boss to work for Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> yeah because you just don't you're not prepared for that dark, the dark side, yeah. right? The people that are continually showing their dark side, they just grind and wear on you. And they demoralize people, you know, and eventually those people typically will leave. And in the exit statement, then you hear about why, why they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Maybe we could backtrack well, a little me- bit on that. It uh, wouldn't be the first time I've asked a vague question. <laughs> it wasn't vague. I think I went off on a, on a wild well, goose let me, chase. Let me refine it. What advice would you give me if I if was working with somebody in the workplace that was really abusive, that, it, that had this kind of bad behavior? Mm-hmm. What should I do? Well, if I, if I had some specifics, I think I could be more helpful. But communication is definitely the key. And... You know, if you think of a, a bad boss as, as um, if we're going to characterize people, if we think of a bad boss as a bully, 
bullies aren't used to people being very direct about their behavior with them and and so I would encourage the employee to get the courage to go in and speak more freely and more often with their boss because the boss has to realize there's a real person here mm -hmm. and there is effort being made to making this relationship work out but um, working for a, a mean boss or a bad boss is tricky and it takes a lot of maneuvering and it, it takes a lot of observation to see what are the trigger points that create issues maybe anticipating the needs that the boss has anticipating what what do they typically look for in their patterns you know you have to really be on your toes well, and I think you know you're you're making a judgment there. Is this is this a person that may be receptive to the comments? Mm -hmm. Is this uh, you know so can, should I take the risk? And definitely, you're not going to approach it in a confrontational way. Mm -hmm. But uh, you have nothing to lose if you talk about it. You really don't. Yeah. And communication is is really it can be the key. And I think that even bosses who are bullies respect someone who comes forward and sit to say, listen, I'm not sure I understood the directions that you gave me. I want to make sure I'm doing this correctly. Or uh, listen, I I um, I need a better understanding of how I can do the work that you expect me to do and do good work for you. Why not? Well, I can think of the why not as fear. People yes. get afraid that if I say something, I'll lose my job. Do yes. Think, do you think that's founded, or just? I I don't think that there that the likelihood of that is is strong, but there is fear there, of course, and there's an insecurity. Yes. Do you think that there are more? Uh, I'm going to say bad bosses, but I don't know what other term to use. Do you think there's more bad bosses in smaller companies than larger companies? No, I don't think so. I think that. Bad bosses are in the are more apt to be in the bigger companies because they can they can hide a little bit better. Oh, interesting. Smaller companies are more family oriented. Yeah, and Sticks every out. everybody knows everybody's business, and you know. So I would I would I would surmise it's it's more apt in, to happen in the bigger companies. If you were given advice to somebody that was looking to go to work for a company, how would I? What are the questions I would ask to make sure I didn't end up with a bad boss? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I would ask questions about the management style of the company, of that particular boss, of that department. Um, you know, I'd ask questions about describe the culture of the department. Um, ask under stress what are the typical characteristics that might might be observed by someone who's working in the department how does the department come together to meet the objectives that you know the department has a whole just ask some questions like that you have to be a little careful though because you don't want to look like you're trying to you know <laughs> yeah, dig yeah. up the dirt but but you can ask some questions that could reveal what's the nature of the the management style but, you know, I think in today's environment, it is expected that a good employee is probably exhibiting those kind of questions in the interview process. In other words, if they aren't asking questions during the interview, they're probably not going to ask questions later on when you hire them. 
and we're hiring people for their ability to communicate, mm-hmm. to think independently, mm-hmm. to ask questions. So, you know, it used to be there was a time when, you know, a boss would take offense at anybody asking a question mm-hmm. during an interview. Mm-hmm. Candidates don't ask questions. Yes. They answer. <laughs> yes. And now it's expected. Now it's expected. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. What else should we know about bad bosses? Bad bosses have a need to regroup and get back in touch with their the emotional intelligence that actually got them to the place that they're at today. Um, there is an article that I, uh, that I frequently reference that was published by the Atlantic uh, magazine that, that showed studies that indicated that people who had been in influential, powerful places for great lengths of time, actually, their brains actually disconnected from the side of the brain that connected them to the human emotion side, the emotional intelligence side. And so I think that there's a, a need for a wake-up call with bad bosses to get reconnected into being more human because they've they've dropped that side of who they are. And because they've been in, in a position of power where they've been able to tell people what to do, behave the way they've wanted to, they've totally disconnected from humanized behavior. Uh, did you want to name a current political figure that would fit this pattern? <laughs> uh, we're not going to go there because I know the producer will just stop recording the show and jump into this conversation. But it is, I mean, we do see people in politics who exhibit bad boss behavior mm-hmm. because they are allowed to. Because they can. Because they can. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it is detrimental and it doesn't produce results. They become totally out of touch. They're out of touch. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you 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 joined us today and that you brought this topic to light. Like I said, when when you first mentioned it, it was like, whoa, are we going to touch this one? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it does need to be talked about. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it, there ought to be a way to encourage more open discussion within companies because we've kind of talked about extremes. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. Uh, and and yes, there are those extremes, but there's a lot of um, bosses, managers, executives, whatever, who just don't exhibit good skills that aren't bad people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they don't have the skills and they don't realize the impact they're having. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always like to use the term, they don't see the wake they're leaving behind them. Right. You know? Yeah. Bad bosses tend to also micromanage yeah. and, and uh, they really don't need to do that. They, if they had the, um, if they trusted their employees to do, to they, if they hired these people to do a job, they need to let them do the job. Bad bosses usually interfere with, with um, other people's business because sure, they're, yeah. they're 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 self-centered, right? And they're distrustful. Yeah, and they don't think anyone is as smart as they are. Well, there you've heard it. Well, look, Susan, before we wrap up here, is there anything else you want to share with the audience uh, that you didn't get a chance to talk about here? Well, I love the quote um, by um, Khalil Gibran that says that if the heart is a volcano, how will your flowers bloom? And so if, our, if an executive's heart is bubbling with lava and heat and burning, 
they're not going to be exhibiting their best behavior, nor are they going to get the best behavior out of their employees. So I'll leave with that comment. What a great advice. Well, look, let me... uh let me thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank for, you, Doug. Uh, joining the Coaching Perspective radio show community. It's my pleasure. And I will be sure when we post the podcast to list John's book and your book. You didn't mention your book. Come on. Oh, thank Please you. Please tell the audience about your book. Thank you. I, I wrote a book about four years ago called uh, How Smart People Sabotage Their Job Search, The Ten Mistakes Executives Make and How to Fix Them. Okay, and it's on Amazon. Yes, sir. And we'll put the link to it there, and we'll everybody will be able to find it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us My today. My pleasure. Well, look, if you've been listening to our podcast, then thank you for visiting our website, thecoachingperspective.com. Be sure to check out our archives for other shows with some additional great guests. Speaking of guests, we're always interested in new and interesting people to have on the show. Pretty full for the rest of the year, but hey, let me know. You can either send me an email, Doug at thecoachingperspective.com, or go to the website. There's a place there to indicate you want to get the newsletter or that you'd like to talk to me about being a guest on the show. Well, look, I hope you enjoyed the show today. We're going to have another great show next week. Tina DePayne is a seasoned trainer with 25 years of experience coming from Xerox Corporation. And she's going to talk about some of the things that she thinks we need to know for training today in today's managers. Be sure to listen to next week. Well, look, our goal, as always, is to provide you with discussions that provide you with new ideas and information that you can put to use immediately to identify and achieve your goals. I'll be back with you again next week at our new time of 3 p.m. Have a great evening. You've been listening to the one show that takes a look at business from a different perspective, the coaching perspective with master certified business coach, Doug Gefeller. 